right, show of hands. Everyone get your celebrating in yesterday? Yes. I, w- I would raise my hand, but I'm missing a finger from that firecracker <laughs> gone awry, so uh, <laughs> I'll raise my stump. <laughs> oh, man. We were just talking to to, uh, to Bob here about uh, his, his misguided youth. I, uh, unfortunately, did partake in illegal fireworks. Oh. And I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out yet, so I won't elaborate. As the only one here from a state that actually sells good fireworks, the proud Missourian in me was just unimpressed by the fireworks here in Nebraska. you got to go where you can buy the good stuff, just Uh south of the border. Yeah, all right, Stumpy. We'll keep that in mind here. could have brought you back some. I can neither confirm nor deny any federal violations of fireworks law that may have been committed in the last two weeks. If they make a bust, let's just put it this way. If they make a bust of Stumpy over here, they'll be able to call it the Statue of Limitations. Uh, All right. uh, uh. Here we go with uh, what's going on today on Midday. We have Jesse Harding with Ag Headlines. Well, coming up at the 1213 release today was the Ag Economy Barometer was released, and that is hosted by Purdue University and the CME Group. And in this month's barometer they have that participants indicated they have stronger finances than this time a year ago but are still worried they might not meet their 2017 needs for the rest of the year so we'll get more in depth on what that actually looks like and for the 1219 the holiday probably threw off your week it's okay we're not trying to confuse you at all but even though the holiday was on Tuesday and today is Wednesday, we're going to have Dewey Nelson with Dean Hefta, Director of Water Street Solutions. And their topic today is meeting the challenge on today's farms. And that it would have been aired yesterday if it wasn't for the holiday. So we're going to air that today instead. And then for the newsmaker, it's not looking too hot for wheat country out in Nebraska. Chabella Guzman is with Bob Haveston. He's a UNL Nebraska Extension plant pathologist and also with Nebraska Wheat Board member Larry Floor discussing the crop and the wheat streak mosaic virus that hit the panhandle pretty hard. And then for the 117, continuing on with things that don't look that good, North and South Dakota and the drought that they're having, mm-hmm. Susan Littlefield is joined with the Commissioner of Agriculture for North Dakota, Doug Gehring, who talks about the drought and the struggles that the state's having right now. All right, thanks. And in for sports, and Jason, it's uh, Brandon today. One of the things that I always enjoy about the 4th of July holiday is, of course, Nathan's National Hot Dog Eating Contest. (laughs) Joey Chestnut has won it now for 10 of the last 11 years, and get this, the average American consumes 70 hot dogs in a year. Really? He consumed 72 yesterday in a 10-minute period of time, and we'll talk about how many calories, grams of fat, that is coming up in sports. What an athlete. (laughs) If you stretch the term athlete to include someone who consumes mass quantities of hot dogs, yes. If you stretch your stomach that much. Bob Brogan in business. Well, a big story today. Cabela says federal regulators have ended their investigation into Bass Pro Shop's deal to buy the uh, Nebraska-based chain, so that's kind of making some news today. Also, stocks are mixed. Oil and gas stocks have been falling along with energy prices, and renovations are almost finished at an iconic central Nebraska hotel. And I want to say that I stayed at that hotel many decades ago before those renovations were even well, an idea. The Hotel Earl, is that right? This is uh, in Broken Bow, the Arrow Hotel. All right, okay. Very good. And that's all coming up for you on Midday. 
Well, we've heard it said there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. I guess that does definitely <laughs> apply for today. Especially in the Panhandle. Triple-digit heat in several locations there. Oh, my heavens. We'll get more detail here with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Coolman Repair. But don't feel too sorry for them in the Nebraska Panhandle because it's a dry heat out there. The humidity a lot lower than what we're seeing right now across our area. So, Because uh, this morning it got down into the low 50s in portions of the Nebraska Panhandle. But that dry air, of course, warms up quickly and cools off very quickly right now across our area. A lot of humidity and temperatures into the upper 70s to the low 80s still across the area. Uh, starting to see some mid-80s as you head farther to the west and south, where it is drier, up to 88 at Holyoke and 90 right now at Ray, Colorado. And we do have 91 for the hottest in the region at Valentine and also at Kimball. That heat and humidity will continue to increase. <clears throat> Excuse me. Heat and humidity will continue to increase today and tomorrow as we see that ridge of high pressure expand from the west. Thunderstorm development going to be mostly capped by that ridge and also the warm temperatures in the upper levels. A few thunderstorms may help to break that cap and then track to the east right near a low, uh, low pressure trough off to our west. But that's a very small chance of that getting going, especially in a particular spot. Nothing widespread for sure on the way in the next few days. The hottest of the temperatures coming up tomorrow. Many areas, especially west and southwest, approaching that century mark. Of course, in the Nebraska Panhandle today, some triple-digit heat already in the forecast. That high-pressure ridge backs off late tomorrow to allow a cold front to drop to the south. A few thunderstorms possible with the passage of that front. Some disturbances and afternoon heating for Friday into the early part of the weekend will lead to some more scattered thunderstorm chances. Saturday could be a day for the prospects of some severe weather. We will keep you posted. Temperatures start to return to more seasonal levels for Sunday and next week, and mainly dry conditions on the way for early next week. And that is reflected in our long-term forecast. That high-pressure ridge will keep its hold. Uh, the northern plains, and of course the northern plains, not a location they need a high-pressure ridge right now. We are looking at warmer-than-normal temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas, also the western two-thirds of the nation, on into the Great Lakes and northeast U.S. for Monday through July 18th. Above normal temperatures all the way through July 18th. That high-pressure ridge also expecting to keep our rainfall to below normal limits for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through July 18th. Weather factors driving market trade include heat and dryness stressing the crops in the western Midwest and northern plains and limited rain for the central Canadian prairies. Generally active weather expected the rest of the week across the eastern half of the country with some of the higher rain totals from the lower Ohio Valley into the mid-Atlantic and northeast. Spotty thunderstorms will affect the plains, but just minimal drought relief can be expected across Montana and the Dakotas. As the week progresses, that monsoon flow of moisture that usually starts to come into the southwest part of the country this time of year, that may begin to increase in coverage across the southwest and improve their rain chances, but it doesn't look like we're going to be tapping into that moisture anytime soon. Rain chances will vary greatly in the next 10 days in the Midwest with more of the rain and cooler conditions in eastern areas of the Midwest. That will offer mixed prospects for pollinating corn with potential stress and yield impact in western areas from heat and dryness. In the northern plains, the drought conditions will enhance the likelihood for very hot weather and also greatly increase the crop stress, especially spring wheat. Many in the Dakotas right now making comparisons to the harsh drought of 1988. Now, for the southern plains, the trend to below normal rain and warmer than normal temperatures may increase their risk to summer crops. Dryness remains a concern in the Canadian prairies in the southwest and central part of Saskatchewan, with another round of higher temperatures 
expected in the next week to 10 days. In Ukraine and South Russia, temperatures cooled yesterday after a hot Monday. It should be cooler the next few days with some rain chances. And northeast China should remain hot for another day or two before shower coverage increases with cooler weather, a trend needed to support their corn and soybean growth. Our ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair, and I'm looking at those Northern Plains readings right now. Looks like they continue to lead us up into the 90s right now. Yeah, you know, already winter South Dakota, 95 degrees here at the noon hour, and they were warm right off the bat today. And yeah, Northern Nebraska on into the Dakotas, it's been very warm right off the bat today. A nasty deal. Hope mm-hmm. it's not headed our direction anytime soon. Yeah, that high pressure ridge is going to. Probably continue to increase those chances for it, though. All right. Well, when you need weather anytime, folks, you know where you need to go. KRBN.com. agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. U.S. agricultural producers indicated their firm operations. Financial positions are stronger than at this time in 2016. But they did express concerns that they might not meet their 2017 financial targets according to a monthly producer survey conducted as part of the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. The barometer read 131 for the month of June, which is virtually unchanged from April May. Both of readings of 130. And Jim Meinhardt, the barometer's principal investigator and director of Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, says, and I quote, although the agriculture economy barometer has not changed since the last couple of months, it's important to note that there remains well above levels record prior to November 2016. Back in June of 2017, 13% of survey respondents indicated that their operations were financially better off than a year before. It was the highest rating since Purdue's researchers first started surveying operators in October of 2015. Only 3% of producers expressed the same positive sentiment a year earlier. However, farmers' positive sentiment regarding the operation's financial conditions improved steadily during the last half of 2016 before weakening somewhat prior this past winter. In the last three months, producers became more optimistic about their farm's financial position, with 13% of surveyed producers indicating in June that their farms were financially better off than a year ago. In the winter meat mar- war- winter market, wheat fur has been up recently. Chabella Guzman talks with Nebraska Wheat Board member Larry Floor about the rise. Nebraska Wheat Board member Larry Floor of Chapel gives us an idea of why the market is seeing such a bump in prices. The mosaic virus extended on into Kansas as well, and I think they're finding lower yields than anticipated and lower quality. But the big driver on this uh, price is the drought in the Dakotas that uh, affecting the, the spring wheat crops, the hard spring, and uh, a lot of that didn't get planted. And if it did, they're having uh, drought issues that uh, they're not having uh, enough moisture for that that crop to uh, produce. So if there's a shortage of spring wheat, which uh, is has a limited number of acres anyway, uh, and now they're uh, have abandoned or not planted prevented planting up there of acres. Those acres, because of the crop report that came out on Friday, is uh, considerably low. I think that's the driving force in the market right now. While some of the wheat farmers may be benefiting from the rise in markets, others have total fields at a loss from disease and weather conditions this year. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman.
Karen Schmidt, a professor of animal science and chair of the food science undergraduate program at Kansas State University, was named the president of the American Dairy Science Association during the group's recent annual meeting. It's an honor to serve the society in this capacity, she said, going on that she looks forward to working with members to develop strategic plans and implement initiatives to achieve the vision statement of science, education, and service for the global dairy sector. In 2011, she received the Milk Industry Foundation Teaching Award. Her research area focused on quality and functionality of dairy foods, dairy proteins, and functional foods. During her time at Kansas State, she has served as an advisor for the Food Science Club and Dairy Science Club and coached seven food science quiz bowl teams and eight dairy product evaluation teams. The Manitoba Council confirms in Canada that 41 signs of the porcine have tested positive for porcine epidemic diarrhea virus outbreak. The south part of the province is where the outbreak is centered. More information about this can be found by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Meeting the challenge on today's farms. That's our topic with Dean Hefta, Director of Water Street Solutions. Dean, what challenges do farms come up against these days? Well, today's farm businesses really face a lot of different challenges, and with that are opportunities that, you know, maybe Dad or Grandpa's farm didn't encounter. Especially in the recent years, I've seen a lot of farmers step up to take on those challenges with, with a lot of diligence. You know, the farming environment today really isn't for the faint of heart. But the farmers that are committed to running their businesses better are really taking these challenges head on. They're proactive instead of being reactive. They're asking, you know, what's the biggest challenge or obstacle that's going to keep me from moving my farm forward? And they're taking action to become a lot more effective and successful. That, that means bringing in the tools, the resources, the expertise to help take their farm to the next level. And these farmers are, are truly, truly business-minded. They're looking at their operation as a business and making decisions in a very analytical way, really operating like the CEO of their farm. They know what made their dad or grandpa successful at farming, but they also know that those same things aren't enough to deal with the new problems that they're facing in new ways. We're talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. What else do these farm CEOs do? Well, as the farm environment is changing, these farmers are working to stay on top of really you know, all the things that they need to. At the same time, they're keeping the, the meaning and the tradition and the history that makes their farm and their lifestyle so fantastic. They're also preserving the joy that's part of farming, the, the, the getting to work outside and being your own boss and the variety that comes with that. And like leaders in other types of businesses, farm leaders can have lots of their own moments of fear or anxiety. For example, fear of being or, or the anxiety of not being able to, to take advantage of an opportunity that's come up. But the best have really put processes in place for better decision making. They have uh, resources they can draw upon, like trusted advisors that understand their situation. They can really provide perspective and, and expertise in that decision situation. And these farmers are, are making sure to put the right plans and structures in place. The who, the where, the what, the why. Make sure that farm is driving forward to that vision that they have. Dean, what are some ways to make sure we're doing that? Well, I believe one of the biggest challenges in planning for the farm's future is often around 
creating and using financial plans for the farm. These have to be very forward-looking projections, not just tax records or, or you know, traditional books on the farm. Uh, that tells you what happened in the past. But the forward-looking financial information can help the farmer really adjust in real time to understanding what the decision today going to mean to the future of the farm. So, you know, first you need this type of information about your operation, but it's also important to have advisors and perspectives that can help you interpret and give you different insights into that information. And, you know, some of the questions you can ask yourself are, what are the biggest challenges or obstacles that my farm is facing right now as it relates to our goals? Do I have the forward-looking numbers and projections that can help me with my decision-making? Do I have the advisors and the expertise that understand my situation and can bring the, the perspective that I need to reach my goals? So you might you know, want to consult with, a, with an ag finance advisor to talk about you know, how challenges in the ag environment affect um, your farm. And if you have more questions about this topic or any other, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today we've talked about meeting the challenge on today's farms with Dean Hefta, Director, Water Street Solutions. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports now with... Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. After a recent return to action where she gave birth in December, Victoria Azarenka is back in the third round at the Wimbledon Championships. The two-time semifinalist at the All-England Club recently beat 15th-seeded Elena Visnina 6-3, 6-3 on court number three. Today's match was only her fourth of the season. Azarenka, a former number one but unseeded this year at Wimbledon, will next face Heather Watson. British writer Mark Cavendish has commended the courage of the Tour de France jurors for disqualifying world champion writer Peter Sagan after a horrific crash that took both of them out of the race yesterday. Speaking earlier this morning before the Tour set off without him for Stage 5, Cavendish said his immediate concern after he hit the deck was a profusely bleeding finger on his right hand. Cavendish, who was the winner of 30 tour stages throughout his career, was then later diagnosed with a broken right shoulder blade and then had to withdraw from the race. Sagan, who appeared to elbow Cavendish before he fell at high speed, stayed on his bike, but then was later disqualified for endangering Cavendish and other riders in the sprint to finish at the end of Stage 4. The Los Angeles Lakers have signed first-round draft picks Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, and Josh Hart. Ball is expected to make $33.4 million under his four-year deal as the second overall pick. Magic Johnson called Ball, quote, the new face of the Lakers, end quote, at his introductory press conference late last month. New York Yankees sensation Aaron Judge leads the majors with 28 home runs and needs just one to tie Hall of Famer Joe DiMaggio's franchise record for rookies set in 1939. However, the Yankees have struggled of late, losing 15 of their last 21, and they are 0-5-1 in their last six series after a 38-23 and start to the year. Judge and the Yankees face the Blue Jays in the rubber match of a three-game set later this afternoon. And each year, the average American eats 70 hot dogs per year, but Joey Chestnut yesterday overachieved us all by downing a record 72 hot dogs in 10 minutes. That wins Chestnut his 10th Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest of the past 11 years. The 33-year-old from Vallejo, California, soaks the hot dogs and buns in water to make them easier to eat. 72 hot dogs and buns. By the numbers, that's over 20,000 calories 
almost 1,300 grams of fat, over 2,000 milligrams of cholesterol, over 56,000 milligrams of sodium, and 720 grams of protein. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to The Rule Radio Network. Clear skies, lows in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. FBI agent seized bomb-making materials, seven guns, and ammunition from the Montana home of a man they suspect of carrying out bank robberies in five states. An inventory of the property seized from Richard Gathercole's home in Roundup, Montana, shows that agents also took sheriff's badges and patches, a sheriff's vest and an ammunition vest, a military-style helmet, an organic chemistry book, and material to make identification badges. The inventory list was filed with the U.S. District Court in Billings last week. Authorities believe Gathercole is a man they call the AK-47 bandit who held up at least six banks since 2012. Gather Cole is being held in the Dawson County Jail in Lexington where he's accused of stealing a truck and guns and firing on a Kansas State trooper last month. He's scheduled to appear in Dawson County Court tomorrow afternoon. A new undergraduate certificate in agriculture has been approved by a state education commission for the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. Susan Littlefield has more. The certification, which offers 16 hours of college credits, was officially approved June 15th by Nebraska's Coordinating Commission of Post-Secondary Education at its meeting in Lincoln. The program was created for college students majoring in a non-agricultural discipline, high school students seeking a dual credit program in agriculture, or working professionals wanting to upgrade their ag competence. The certification is designed to provide an introduction to crop and animal production systems and is designed to provide students with a good understanding of natural resources and agribusiness management. Now, such was the case this year for two students from York High School who took NCTA's classes each semester as juniors and seniors, then graduated in May with a certification in agricultural chemical application. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Cabela says U.S. antitrust regulators have ended their investigation into Bass Pro Shop's $4 billion deal to buy the Nebraska-based chain. Cabela says that the Federal Trade Commission signed off on the deal earlier this week, but banking regulators still haven't approved one part of the transaction. Stifle Nichols analyst Jim Duffy said gaining FTC approval makes it much more likely that the merger of the two outdoor gear-selling rivals will be completed. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. A tiny mite is making big news as it decimates wheat crops in the southern panhandle. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The curl mite has spread the wheat streak mosaic virus throughout the southern panhandle, reducing this year's wheat yields. To get a clearer picture of the mite and virus, I put a call in to Dr. Bob Harvison, plant pathologist with the UNL Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff. Bob, for those who are not wheat farmers or don't know much about the wheat streak mosaic virus, can you give us a quick explanation of it? But basically, wheat streak mosaic is a virus disease that is transmitted by the wheat curl mite. And where it, without that mite, you're not going to get the disease and, and get it and, and get spread in, in a field. And so that's the way it moves around. It, and it also can survive in the, in, in the, uh, the mite. 
as long as the mite has something to survive on as well, because it also has to feed on some sort of a grass plant. Bob, what do you expect is the reason for this year's outbreak of wheat streak mosaic virus? If you get hailstorms or if you get some something that, that knocks the seeds off and then the seeds germinate, then, that, then that's considered to be volunteer wheat. And so basically that will serve as a reservoir for both the mite and the virus, and then it can potentially survive in that manner. And then when wheat is planted in, in the fall, like in September, then the mite moves into that, and then it trans, transmits it to in the fall, and then you don't know that problem occurs until you see it in the spring. So I'm just suspecting that it was really bad last year in this particular area because there was a lot of volunteer wheat that was uh, was not managed. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to, to promote is it take care of the, the volunteer wheat that, that occurs right there close to harvest. The effects of this year's damage from the wheat streak mosaic virus is already coming in, and Nebraska Wheat Board member Larry Floor of Chapel gives us an idea of the kind of devastation the virus has caused in the Panhandle counties of Garden and Duel. Variable conditions apply in all of the Garden and Duel County, anywhere from 100% loss. A lot of farmers have uh, abandoned their wheat uh, as much as a month uh, to six weeks ago, and some here more recently, hoping that it would improve. But I would say the range is from zero uh, yield all the way up to uh, 50% loss of normal yield. I've abandoned two fields, and it appears like I may have three or four more that I may abandon after I attempt to see what's, what's there at harvest. Almost every field in the area has had variable infection. I would guess it ranges from um, up to 50 to 75% on, on some of those fields. Larry, is there any wheat in the area where there seemed to be less damage done from the virus? Very pl- late planted wheat last fall that was planted in October following another spring crop seemed to be avoided. So those fields look better. However, uh, planting that late, they don't have a great chance of of big yields. However, the the virus did not affect it. And I think that had a lot to do with what stage the the crop was in at the time of infection. We find varying uh, rates of infection based upon planting date as well as the variety. Some varieties were able to recover or have better resistance than others. And the planting date still was variable even on on that situation. Because of the infection, the lower heads can be totally uh, blank of kernels. And if they do have kernels, they're very light and shriveled, and therefore test weights could could drop considerably. Harvison says there are some things wheat producers can do now to prevent the disease from being as bad next year. Well, just make sure there's not any volunteer wheat. The the virus is probably not going to go anywhere specifically, but you can reduce the the populations of of the mites and uh, you know cuz cuz uh, as the as the wheat starts to mature and start to starts to to go down, the mites going to move off and try to find something else green. And so if if there's nothing else to that, that it moves to, then uh then theoretically it's going to be knocked down to the to where it won't be a problem when wheat is planted again in the fall. While the wheat producers in the southern panhandle are suffering, wheat is hitting highs in the markets. Larry says the price jump is not likely just the problems in the panhandle, but more of a regional event. The mosaic virus extended on into Kansas as well, and I think they're finding lower yields than anticipated and lower quality. But the big driver on this uh, price is the drought in the Dakotas that... Uh, affecting the, the spring wheat crops, the hard spring. 
and uh, a lot of that didn't get planted. And if it did, they're having uh, drought issues that uh, they're not having uh, enough moisture for that that crop to uh, produce. So if there's a shortage of spring wheat, which uh, is has a limited number of acres anyway, uh, and now they're uh, have abandoned or not planted prevented planting up there of acres those acres because of the crop rep- report that came out on friday is uh, considerably low i think that's the driving force in the market right now floor gives us an idea of how the poor wheat crop will affect some of the southern panhandle counties wheat has been the dominant driving force in our community of the economy and uh, yeah it's going to have have a big big impact uh, financially for all the farmers around here those input input costs do not go away you've got to make you got to pay those and uh, if you can't make your payments on your production loans uh, that's not real good so I think the bankers probably are going to be are pretty nervous about the situation we've been chatting with dr. Bob Harvison plant pathologist and Nebraska extension educator and Nebraska wheat board member Larry floor of Chapel about the damage the wheat streak mosaic virus is doing to this year's wheat crop with the rural radio network I'm Chabella Guzman If you were looking for volatility today in grain and livestock futures, you were not disappointed. With us, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Tell us about the livestock futures. Well, got some volatility there, too, uh, but uh, not nearly what the uh, grains experienced, particularly in the wheat contracts. But uh, cattle uh, under some pressure once again, uh, disappointing uh, cash sales, disappointing uh, uh beef sales, uh, and down we came. Once again, triple-digit losses, both cattle and uh, feeders. So uh, I would just say market's under pressure uh, right now and uh, uh, probably going to see it continue, but uh, not without our bounces. Uh, We're getting a little bit short-term oversold once again and uh, wouldn't be surprised to see us bounce back and uh, get some uh, idea that maybe cash might not be as bad and uh, uh, be able to bounce back. So we might be able to see some recovery uh, uh, on tomorrow's market. Over the hogs, still climbing. Cash uh, still a leader there. Cutouts higher once again at uh, noon, and that uh, brought the uh, cattle higher. We've gone now with the July contract from a a premium to a discount now back to a premium to the index so uh some pretty good uh, buying showing up in in the hog contract so we finished the day uh, higher all the way through on the uh, hogs and lower all the way through on the cattle thanks joe joe teal great plains commodities you can call him at 800-328-0134 dewey nelson reporting Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Doug Gearing is the Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of North Dakota. He said producers and growers in his state are in dire straits to get some sort of moisture and feed for livestock. It's uh, moved into the extreme category for a good deal of our state now. We went into a D3, uh, DO just to probably put things into a proper perspective, a DO would be abnormally dry, meaning we'd be stressing a lot of forage out there, we'd be stressing a lot of crops. Uh, once you hit a D1, we're already into a, a very serious situation. 
but a D2 and a D3, um, it, it almost exponentially has an impact day-to-day, week-to-week on the total environment out there, on these livestock operations, on these uh, grain and farm operations. So we're seeing things escalate to a great degree. And what makes this drought different from previous droughts that we've had, visiting with ranchers who have been in the business 44, 46, 51 years, is we always seem to have gotten some moisture right in the spring, either when right before grass was breaking dormancy or right after grass broke dormancy, which helps set some of those vegetative growth stages. This year, we had a harsh winter. We had a lot of snow early on, but then we really didn't get anything uh, February and March, and we started to see some of that snow melt, and there really wasn't a lot of moisture in it. But that probably, that's only part of that story. When we did break dormancy, when it got warm enough and that grass started to grow, we didn't get any moisture. So it just stalled out at two, three, and four inches. And then it just continued on with no precipitation, no weather events for months. And as we continued to warm up and as the wind blew and temperatures became higher and the season progressed, uh, it really started to concern people. And by the time we got to May, knowing we had to go to spring pastures in May and June, uh, things were quite dire at that point. And since then, it's even gotten worse. You know, I had the opportunity as well to, to speak with a, a sheep producer um, from the middle part of the state. And he said for him, he's been in the business long enough. And, and he said, we've seen this come, we've seen this go. But his biggest concern was for the young producers, maybe starting in the early 90s, who've never had to really deal with a drought-type situation. Well, I would say just about any uh, new or beginning farmer rancher that's gotten into this business in the last 10, 15 years really has not experienced a lot of what the rest of us have in the last 30 and 40, uh, just based on the fact that we've been through droughts, we've been through extreme high inflation, we've been through low commodity prices, we've managed through all that. And we did it when it cost less to operate and less to raise a family. But things have changed dramatically in the last 15 years. Commodity prices are certainly different, although they would reflect now some of what we've seen in the early 90s. If you can help, we have posted through our social media the drought hotline and the web access. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network in a wild trading day today. It's one of those top ten that John Payne alludes to. John Payne is Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Can you explain? Well, I, again, I think the boat just got really full uh, on the open here. Um, so just to kind of retell the story, and I'm sure if you've been listening to Caribbean all day, you know that Minneapolis Wheat opened about 30 higher at one point trading up to, you know, almost 870 on the September contract. And, you know, we're 15 minutes into the session, and all of a sudden I look up and we're 20 lower, and then we're 20 lower than that, and all of a sudden we were down from the open about, oh, 30 cents. So we had traded in, I think, was it a 90-cent range, open to close there, high to low, and uh, traded all the way back up to 820 into the close. So if you woke, 
woke up this morning and just looked at the changes, you say, oh, it was a slow day for Minneapolis wheat, only up four cents, but uh, it was anything but uh, trading with just fury and, and uh, reckless abandonment that uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the longs need to pay attention to here. Whether or not this thing's done going up uh, on the wheat is, is a question, but I think it's we're getting to a point here where it's going to stay hard. It's going to be real difficult to hang on unless you have a, a big bankroll. If you looked at Kansas City wheat, you could have seen some of that, too, because, uh, yeah, it wasn't a 94-cent trading range, but nevertheless, here we end up with double-digit gains. Yeah, and again, I think that's sign of, of just a really strong market and the, the biggest bulls are the hardest to hold on to and this wheat market just continues to rally we had uh, kind of some i say bearish news but egypt was in the market uh you know tendering some wheat this morning and they got uh, i think filled around we'll call it about 540 futures uh the basis would be a little bit different than that but i think they paid about 197 dollars a metric ton so you know we're, we're seeing the, the the prices from the overseas markets rally and that's what we want to see but they're not i think we're we're starting to see some u.s premium be put in and again, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I look at the crop out there, and I think this WASI report that we're going to get in the next couple of days, I think a week from Friday, is, uh, is going to show a really big 2017 crop. Uh, the question is, does the market care? And at this point, it's not about fundamentals. It's about money flow, and it's, it's difficult to, to, to get this market to break it all. Wasn't it positive for soybeans to close with the double-digit gain today? Absolutely. So 995 in that November, 1030 is the, the target for me. At that point, you have a lot of hedgers underwater, and a lot of questions will be in that, being asked on corn. That probably puts us maybe close to 420. Producers, you have decisions to make at that price if you're selling it off the combine. I, I, I expect it. Be ready for it. All right. Don't, don't let the emotions of the trading day uh, take over. Have a, have a plan. Thanks, John. You can reach John Payne at DanielsAgMarketing.com. If you have more questions, you can also contact them direct, danielsagmarketing.com.